Hey, good morning, everybody. <laughs> good morning, a, John. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> I know this is a last-minute surprise. That's I okay. I was, I was, uh, I, I, the surprise I had was is that I forgot to confirm with Lynn Widmeyer, so that's just as well. <laughs> there you go. And, uh, I, kinda, I don't know. I kind of figured when I didn't hear, so um, yeah, I, I was, was talking uh, to my good friend good friend greg last uh evening and i said hey you want to be on a podcast tomorrow morning hey all right let's do it can you guys hear me yes i can let me but we're not hold on one second yeah we're we're going okay i just wanted to know if my audio was working it is yeah um well welcome uh well uh go ahead karen introduce greg as uh the celebrity that he uh Maybe. <laughs> if, you, okay. if, you only, if you only knew, John, if you only knew. <laughs> well, so. you know, Greg and I, well, I call him Moose, but I guess we should, well, everybody calls him Moose, but um, you can be called Greg or Moose. You can let us know when it's your turn to speak. <laughs> and uh, we met years and years ago working at River and Trail Outfitters. Oh, right in knoxville maryland and um greg has always been somebody that has uh inspired me given me good unsolicited advice at times and uh, <laughs> and has just been a <laughs> great friend and i admire what he does he is an excellent team builder and one thing i thought we could talk about this morning is um you know, maybe he can touch a little bit on the climate of some of the situations he finds himself in. Has it changed with um, the changing climate of everything else in the world? But, you know, with a fun spin, I told him we're pretty light and go with the flow here. Um, And Greg, just because you haven't joined us before, we cover a little bit of everything. Be yourself. We, we, a few curse words slip out here and there. <laughs> Oops. What? That sounds Ouch. crazy talk. We get we get pretty um, heated. John and I, uh, we, we like to talk about uh, the crazy world that we all find ourselves in at this right. point in time. <laughs> yeah. So, Greg, introduce yourself. <laughs> Hi, Greg. Well, good morning, everybody. Hi, John. Hey. Uh, yes, uh, I lead a dual life as Karen mentioned, to many people, uh, as I am fortunate enough to speak around the country, people either call me Greg or, or Moose. Um, the Greg people are a little more boring. So I always know if somebody <laughs> asks for Moose, it's gonna be a more fun conversation, but certainly I answer to both. And uh, that sort of started with my <clears throat> Uh, all of my outdoor adventures. And so all of my outdoor adventures uh, are the moose people. And then my my more uh, uh, Loudoun County sort of folks all call me Greg. So uh, I'm happy to be here this morning with, with both of you. What's a Loudoun County folk? <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm still actually working uh, full time <laughs> for Loudoun County. I, I manage a big facility there. And when I am not there, I'm either doing fun podcasts with my friend Karen, or I am. Um, I do lots of staff trainings and I speak at a lot of conferences. So I'm out and about whenever I'm not working at Loudoun County, except for you, tomorrow, where I'm 
going to a fishing show. What do you talk about? Say, unless you're fishing or when, you, when you're uh, speaking, what do you? Is it um, is this motivational so, uh, or is it? What's the? Uh, is that a particular uh, topic? Are you an expert in a certain <laughs> a certain stream of thought or? Um, so what? Ha so I I have a long career in, in working with kids at uh, camps, um, and in addition to that, I have a long career in. Uh, experiential education and uh, working in the outdoors with people. This will be my 48th year as a rafting guide coming up in 24. But I also um, get to do, as Karen said, I get to work with uh, corporations and government agencies throughout the country. And we work on everything from strategic plan to organizational development to working on their cultures. Uh, but I always do it in a fun sort of way. Right. I like to nobody wants to hear a boring speaker. So I like to I like to get everybody in there and, right. you know, let's get down to work on some skills. So I don't do actually that much motivational speaking, although I can. I'll get to joint rocking anytime you want, John. But <laughs> but uh, I like to work on uh, lots of skill development so that people will be better at doing their jobs tomorrow than they were today. That's a. Um... Well, that's a lot of fun. But my son was uh, very active in uh, uh, River Riders for almost 10 years. Ben, All maybe, right. Maybe you know him, Ben Case. I know Ben. Yeah, oh, that's my son. And, um, oh, yeah, Ben. Yeah, right. He's working, he's yeah. working for a software company now like everybody else. But, uh, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, no, and, Ben's and, very talented. Um, so, uh, well, that's that's... That's cool because um, we need some team building. You think? Um, well, well, one of the you go ahead. Yeah. My yeah, my government uh, clients are typically uh, se several of them are really trying to change their culture, which involves a whole philosophy of leadership development, and uh, it's it's pretty complex. But when you get out the other side, the Results have been nothing short of amazing, and more and more people are are going to that model. And um, so, if and then and then in, in the sports teams and businesses and and groups in general, um, I, I do lots of activities with them. Um, I, I guess the highlight would be the the high ropes courses that that I work on. But a lot of them, a lot of the skill development that we do is is not. 30 feet in the air. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very versed at, at doing all of that, but I, I've written about, uh, 53 workshops now. So when somebody asks me to speak, I send them an a la carte menu and then we, right. we kind of, they want, I want this and I want that. And we try to piece it all together and off we go. Do you find that, um, well, there's different kinds of groups, right? So there's groups in which there's a lot of internal competition. Um, a lot of corporations are uh, certainly like that. On the other hand, uh, the leadership of most companies um, and some other organizations have been involved in um, require a high level of discipline in the leadership and unity, uh, at least in action, in order to accomplish anything. Um, so 
does subordination of the individual ambition to the group mission, um, how much is that feature in your, the challenges that you're asked to sort of deal with in groups? So that is actually a great question. Um, so the first half of the question really resides in people forgetting why they began to work somewhere. So <laughs> you you went there, you know, and you were like, oh, I want to do this, or I really want to get into that. And then after a while, problems occur because people get to a sort of a comfort zone into the skills they needed to get to that point, and then they sort of plateau. And so what, and then the second half of the question that you suggest is that when people lose sight of the mission or when, when there's no sort of roadmap in a strategic plan, then people start to fill in the gaps with some of their own ideas, which, which can cause problems within the ranks. But more often than not, what I see is um, some sort of a bottleneck in, in some layer of the hierarchy uh, because um, they, they struggle with managing up and at the same time managing down. I, I see that very frequently. The general it's electric interesting. Go ahead, I'm sorry. It's interesting because uh, I was having a conversation with a 20 something year old, maybe late 20, almost 30 um, yesterday. And um, he was saying how he doesn't understand how an old you call it old i guess we're old <laughs> model <laughs> how an old model of um work culture is going to succeed when everybody he knows and everybody behind him is living in such an individualistic i've got my rights individual rights culture where everybody is a entitled to their own opinion even if they do join a group or institution or corporation that you do have to conform sometime and sometimes and, and we're used to that you know we we grew up with the um you know that was like social norms or or workplace norms where you kind of sacrificed a little bit of yourself to to do something i i think that we're going to, we are kind of finding ourselves in a culture that has changed drastically and kind of, you know, blowing the minds of some of the um, people in our age groups that are still trying to run a company. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know, GE used to have a, uh, well, under Jack Welch anyway. <clears throat> an asshole of the first order, but whatever. Um, anyway, he, uh, he had a theory that, um, you know, that uh, he had, they had, what, I think eight, ten divisions in the late 70s when <clears throat> I was involved in negotiating with them. Uh, and uh, if you weren't, he told the vice presidents of each one of those divisions that uh, if they weren't either number one or number two, in their, you know, market sector, that they were going to be fired and the whole division sold <laughs> to somebody because they weren't they weren't going to have any threes 
in their, uh, you know, in their ranks. So, uh, so uh, you know, a bloodbath ensued, um, typically in the GE hierarchy. And this caused a certain cultural uh, problem to develop uh, in many parts of the company, which is, is that all the uh, subordinates were lying to their superiors for uh, fear of, you know, just chaos, knocking them out, things out of the control. And, uh, of course, when everybody starts lying to their bosses and their bosses start buying liars or they're paying, buying lies to their bosses, all of a sudden the CEO is running around basically with his feet planted in midair. And um, then a crisis develops, like one of the shops organizes into the union. Now that gets the attention, <laughs> I promise you, of the owners of the company. And... Um, they then had Jack had a had a similar approach to that problem, um, and it was kind of interesting. He told the affected vice president that they were no longer running their division; <clears throat> that instead, a professional HR team was going to come in from the side, so to speak, take over uh, the plant or the division operation, right? And find out exactly where all the nepotism, corruption, lies, blah, 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 blah was taking place. And uh, in the meantime, the plant manager or whatever that was would have to sit around and wait for judgment day of some sort. And um, <clears throat> this um, didn't actually work. And, um, well, and I think that brings up a good point if for Greg. Like, do you ever walk into a situation where uh, someone is expecting you to solve this monumental problems? Like the whole train has derailed, but <laughs> what? It's, how do you how do you uh, break that into manageable chunks? <laughs> yeah, the, the the better question is when do I don't run into <laughs> a situation like that? Um, I won't. I won't mention the agency. But several years ago, I arrived uh, um, at, at, to speak at a conference, and uh, everyone was sort of sitting around chatting after dinner the night before the conference. And it became very clear to me that the two heads of the two biggest agencies in the nation uh, couldn't come to an agreement as to where they wanted things to go. And I told them they had eight hours to solve that because I was going in front of the the workforce you know, uh, in the morning and we had to speak with a unified front. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a very, very, you know, common problem. So one of the things that that's happened, um, see, it's even in some respects gotten worse since COVID because when everybody was isolated, they actually lost their ability to communicate in the way that well, I'll say the three of us grew up with and the norms have been shattered so that the types of communication that I think are effective aren't necessarily what people think are effective now. And so I can, I can believe that my way is better and what I grew up in and the, the types of face-to-face -face communication that, that I've always known to work. Um, but a lot of people did not grow up that way so their interpretation is very different. So in order for me to be effective, um, I have to 
make sure that the fundamentals are covered, even if it doesn't look like something I grew up with. Uh, but then, like if I go into a company and I say, what's your mission? Not once have I ever gotten the same answer from anybody. So they don't, <laughs> you know, so they don't actually know, but they can't even express or articulate um, the, the company's mission. And as you suggest, John, it is very, very common, even in smaller businesses, for a, a, a fraction of people to band together because they think they have a common cause, whether it supports the mission or not. And that is um, a very, a very frequent occur occurrence in, in my world. Yes. Um, well, so, but we, we used to find now in the union, I worked for the union for a long time, United Electrical Workers. <clears throat> and um, shocking. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we were to some people. That's true. Um, but but, but um, you know, one of the things um, I learned early on uh, the hard way um, was that um, you know, you're always trying to figure out, you know, what's what's it all about, Alfie? Um, you know, what are we what are we trying to do here? That's and, the old school uh, reference right there. <laughs> you know, and we're, uh, you know, and it's easy to to, to reduce it down. Uh, one time, I I we had a big, there was a terrible political debate in the local union, you know, going on. And I said, well, we're all, why don't we just change everything and call ourselves the higher wages party? I, I think we'll agree on that and just uh, leave everything else aside for the moment. And, um, you know, that would sometimes uh, get a reaction. But the thing that the moral essence of unionism is don't leave people behind and find something for everyone to do. That's the moral principle involved, and you can't always enforce it, but it's the reason why uh, people uh, try to establish seniority, right, to eliminate arbitrariness and loss of jobs, okay? Uh, or why they, uh, if, if you're on a strike, the hardest issue is getting everybody back. Um, and uh, if you don't, you know, the morality of the solidarity that's involved starts to come apart. Okay, it's just like the Marine Corps. It really is. You want people to sacrifice, in order to obtain something in a union, you have to be prepared to sacrifice your personal interest for the overall good. You have to. If you don't, don't go out on strike. Don't do it, because you're gonna lose, all right? <laughs> There's only one power that you have, and that's solidarity. Um, the rest is, you know, how much is of a share can you can you negotiate? How much? You know. But if you fall apart, you get nothing. Um, so that that kind of discipline uh, is is tough, right? Because in in business and in you know a capitalist economy, et cetera, you know the the the, the, the firms don't operate on that principle. I mean, they're operating on efficiency. They can't make money if they start to never lay anybody off, not, not in the economic environment you're in. So you have two, at least two, you know, very different group principles that are kind of in, in tension with each other, you know, a lot of the time. And it's easy to lose your way. 
and and neglect the difference between good and bad compromises. Um, what do you think about that? Good versus bad compromises. Um, so what I run into a lot is, um, so you, you touched on things on two different levels. So on the, on the, the, the sort of the, 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 the managerial sort of hierarchical level, a lot of the success or failure um, centers around how people interpret their default behaviors. And one of the most challenging problems that, that certainly I have is that, that if uh, somebody, if there's an agency or a corporation, <clears throat> let's say they have a new initiative, as you might imagine, if it's a big statewide agency or if, it, if, it's, an ag if it's a national agency, you have people from different states interpreting it different ways or different sides of a certain state or or even sometimes you get sales and management you know, they can't agree on whatever it is in a corporation or even on a sports team you know you don't have everybody uh um and we know some from some of our local teams were not always very successful um <clears throat> and and sometimes um determining what those default behaviors are and then helping people to figure out what to do with them so that it ends up in a productive direction. That's the hard part. And so one of the things that I certainly try to tell people is that, you know, every, every company and every product has a shelf life. I mean, think, think about what some of the big companies were when, when we were younger, you know, the, the Howard Johnson's and the uh, tower records and, you know, a lot of the oh, places sure. that have yeah. come and gone. Long gone. Uh, <clears throat> so, so when you look at the, the the missions, sometimes are are not easy to change, and people think that their institutional value to that company or corporation or team um, is being asked to for, to be not acknowledged anymore, and that's not usually the case. But um, this is where the really hard work of management comes in um uh and i think a lot of people get confused between management and leadership and so um you know leadership is a relationship you know management is a title you know so we have a lot of people with titles that are not good leaders and so uh, getting into all that that's the hard work of the organizational development that uh, that's kind of what i do um, and I try not to offend too many people yeah. <laughs> <laughs> along the way. Right. Um, but because, you know, and the other side of it, I told you there was two sides. The other side of it is that when you come across um, a business that sort of has a shelf life, it is sometimes really hard to somebody who's getting a paycheck. It's It's hard to explain to them that the current model by which we are working is not sustainable. Right. And, and that is a monumental problem in, in government agencies because they're going to get paid next week. So because of that, mm -hmm. there, there's a different mindset than you have if you're in a, a private industry. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Right. I mean, um, well, it's true of all, orga every organization has a tendency toward uh, bureaucracy, obviously. I mean, uh, people are assigned a job and 
they don't like to be told the next week that, well, your job has changed. You got to do something else. Um, and you know, cause there's in a company, it means you're probably going to get laid off. Okay. Uh, since retraining is usually not on a big priority cost center in most companies. <laughs> I'm not going to spend off my, have my profits on retraining. I got plenty of people out there in the market I can hire. All right. So, you know, depending on the time of year or whatever. Uh, but in government, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's different, right? Um, so uh, in a way, you're, you, you get people to work as public servants, um, and then, you know, their service needs to be changed, okay? Uh, that work, you know, technology is usually technology, sometimes just generational change, right? But technology um, that... and the people you have coming in, can they do the job or not? And can they, if there's an advanced technology that you want to implement, but it's gonna eliminate half the work and you don't have anything to do for those people, you don't have something else for them to do, then, you know, you're gonna pay, in public, you're gonna pay a political price for uh, laying them off. Um, even if it's, justified on some, you know, uh, organizational or management level uh, reason, you're going to pay a price in the public for it. And um, well, and I think one thing that John and I talk about a lot is like, and when you talk about laying people off, we've talked about valuing everybody. You know, John says it best when he says, you know, leave no one behind. And when we think about these situations <clears throat> where, um, you know, the, the, the monster does dominate the room, but each of these individuals that are making the wheels turn, whether it be government or, you know, uh, private sector corporations, there's an individual person in each of those seats or each of those jobs and we we talk about that a lot you know people are spending their <clears throat> the majority of their waking hours at work and um one thing that has always really um struck me about moose's work is how he can connect to the individual and and i think that is certainly lacking across the board in any you know, uh, business, corporation, government, like where you mentioned most leadership, a good leader is going to make their people feel valued. Um, I know that every conversation I have with Moose, when we have like two seconds to talk or, or see, <laughs> I come away feeling like a stronger person just me as a person. And um, I think the work that, that he's able to do to, to go in and create that humanistic, um, you know, value added for each individual. I, I know he personally has shared some, uh, you know, a few stories where he has really impacted, um, you know, someone's outlook. And 
I, I think, you know, we're missing that. We're missing that in leadership of all kinds, whether it be political, business, you know, even parenting. <laughs> like, we're, we're, we're missing that component where there's a human soul inside of each one of those employees. And there's a story. And John, you and I, when we were out there in Martinsburg on the picket line. Oh, it's a UAW. Yeah. We heard those people's stories. And there is a story behind each and every one of those people. And that's what I find fascinating in the work that Greg Moose does. (laughs) Well, well, for example, take take demilitarizing the U.S. economy, which I've always been a supporter of. You know, I was came to awareness in the 60s and stuff um, and the Vietnam era. So, um, but what, here's the big question. What happens to, there's millions of people involved in the U.S. military establishment, not to mention all the contracted work and weapons and everything else. Um, you know, and I, and I hear people say things like, oh, well, there should be a just transition of, uh, you know, swords to plowshares, all kinds of great poetry. Um, and um, But most of that's bullshit in my experience. Um, you know, the only Wait, remedy is unemployment insurance and the wonderful market, okay? I, I'm not saying there aren't some good programs. The, the, the VA has, you know, obviously there's a lot, there, there are programs. Uh, but we did this thing in the 70s and 80s and 90s with globalization, for example, where this entire uh, kind of middle, middle class, most of it from basically unions and manufacturing, you know, raised incomes up where some ordinary person could send their kids to a land-grant college if they had decent grades, okay? And that... That just basically went away in large swaths of the country as all these jobs got exported. Well, partly from technology, partly from just the global thing. Well, a lot of grievances, a lot of grievances of ruined families. And along comes Mr. Trump. And explains, you know, gives you an enemy, you know, to blame. And the mass media doesn't help you clarify it much. So, yeah. uh, yeah. Well, Uh, and it goes back to, you know, that when we talk about this issue is that soulful connection that that people are looking for. And I want Greg to um, kind of comment on where he sees successes if you make the actual person behind the job feel valued. Yeah, so there's a couple things that that are going on here that are like very fundamentally important. The first, the first thing is that as a, that as a, as a person who's trying to get people to come together to share a common purpose, I can tell you that um, fear has a, a big part in what they decide to do. And people see, if you understand the, the premise, like if you, if you have a common goal and you want people to go somewhere or you want people to change, if people have not experienced that, whether it's in a relationship or whether it's in a business or even in 
the, the interest that they have, it is oftentimes really hard to get this point across because it is not common for someone to come up and say, what do I need to do to help you succeed? You know, that's not a common question that you get. And so part of the issue of fear is that people don't know how good a place can be if it's unknown. So now, now what you're asking people to do is an abstract. Like, if you do this work, we will get here. Well, if you've never been here and you don't know what it's like to be in a, an organization where everybody pulls their weight or you're in a group project that everybody does their share, because we were all in high school and college where you got in a group project and three people did the work and seven people <laughs> sat back and watched the other three people do the work. So that doesn't actually stop when you get into the workforce. So there's a couple things that I find that people are fundamentally stuck on. One of them is fear. So if you don't replace what it is that they're actually afraid about with something that will lead them in the direction you want them to go, then they get stuck there. The other thing that I find, um, and you're gonna, you're gonna laugh at this, but that's okay. You know, change, people always tell me, you know, people are afraid of change. And in some respects, I understand what they're saying, but they, they don't understand the concept. So if I'm speaking at a conference and I say, great news, for all of you that came here today, when you go home, you're going to get a $10,000 bonus. Everybody goes, woo, woo. Yeah, we like that. <laughs> okay. And I say, how many people here are going to turn down that money? Everybody says, well, of course, nobody. And I'm like, but that's change. And they right. go, whoa, never thought about it like that. So okay, so maybe it's not change you're afraid of. So what is it that you're afraid about? And so some of the work, John, that you were talking about, and also Karen, becomes it's the hard work of fundamentally making it okay for people to not only succeed, but also to fail. So there's right. this big thing going on now about fail forward. Well, actually, if you had a pretty well thought out strategic plan you wouldn't even have to introduce that because it would be a part of your culture wouldn't it that yeah true yeah you would you would already so, infer it <laughs> yes you, you, of course you, of course you would and so but there does come a time and i am very clear when i speak with people that regardless of your default behavior and regardless of your as you would say maybe your skill ability or your education or your ability to change, especially with technology, there does become a point in time where the work has to get done. So at some point, there are people that just will never run out of excuses. Well, They're cool. always gonna find a way that they don't wanna or have to do the work. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and those are the people that hold your organization back and they will identify themselves. <sighs> It becomes painfully obvious. There was so to be a... then you have to, then you have to ask the fundamental question. 
and I'll, I'll certainly, I know we, we're out of time, but I'll, I'll certainly leave you guys with this. And that is, um, uh, I then sometimes have to go in and say, well, here's where we want to go. Here's like the end of the rainbow. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get there with or without you. So at some point you have to choose, despite your education or despite your lack of knowledge or despite your default behaviors, are you going to try to help us get there or not? Exactly. And sometimes that's a fundamental question that people just have to answer for themselves. That's, and you have to challenge people because, I mean, decisions do have to be made and or someone else will make them if you don't. Um, so uh, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I just it's been a great conversation, uh, Greg, you know, and um, it's it we enjoy doing this. It's good talking to people folks that got different experiences yeah we'd love to have you back sometime yeah when you're not when you're not Um, fishing or rafting or changing the world well i think there's going to be a lot of uh need for that the kind of temperament that you're kind of encouraging um as this year progresses i'm a little scared (laughs) what the hell is going to happen down the road so um anyway that's that's it's been it's been beautiful uh, and thank you so much uh, well for joining I, I appreciate us here. you both having me on this morning and to all the the people out there in cyberland that are listening to these pearls of wisdom <laughs> we currently have about 67 listening to, to this i want to think about the internet as you can tell exactly but the podcast has, okay. has been almost I'm, over a hundred uh, over a couple hundred downloads so that's really I, I am very honored to have shared this time with you all this morning and um you know, while I am a, 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 a champion for change agencies, um, I also respect the uh, institutional knowledge that people have. And right. as soon as people find out that I'm not asking them to give that up, you know, I, I always get a big sense of relief. Um, I only want people to give it up if it's not productive to the direction that we're going. And oftentimes what they know uh, is part of the information that is the key to the future. Mm-hmm. The problem is that people just don't tell people this sort of thing. And so um, <clears throat> while it's a challenging message to hear, um, as you suggest, John, a little change is not bad. You know, you well, have it's, to just, it's uh, going to happen. We, I mean, it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, for, I mean, for example, just one, uh, you know, like a, a resistance to change is one of the weaknesses of the trade union movement. <clears throat> and it's, it's built in because the people are defending. I mean, the unions only get organized, uh, believe it or not, to defend themselves. They feel they're under attack. That's why they organize. Otherwise, if it was just to, to attack the company, you, you, you would get very few majorities. Okay, well, I'm working for the guy. Why do I want to attack him? <laughs> you know, that guy. I mean, you would, you know, you wouldn't, it wouldn't happen. But the defensive thing plays um, strong on the principle of solidarity, but weak uh, sometimes on the principle of vision and mission. Um, defense is a, you know, hard to play every game. <laughs> well, as, as Karen, you know, as Karen suggested, everybody, everybody wants to feel valued. And that's, that's the art of leadership. That's not the art of management. And so, um, you know, when I ask people, oh, uh, you know, what are the characteristics of the uh, bosses that you've had that, you know, you didn't respect or that didn't seem to know, 
um, how to how to lead, everybody's very quick to say, well, these are all the the characteristics of leadership that they didn't have. And then, um, but then if I say, well, what steps did you take as a person in the organization to help solve some of those problems? They're, I'm frequently left with silence because they didn't feel like they had uh, either the authority or or the ability to uh, be be a part of that sort of yeah you know communication where everybody was was able to be heard <clears throat> and that's yeah. where the nitty gritty of the work really begins. That's true. It's very you know what are those barriers and then you know how do we how do we get past them and that's right. but I do it in a really fun way because I get people moving around and. Once we practice a skill or talk about a skill, then we actually put it into practice in the workshops and people then feel more empowered to try to put it into practice when they get to work tomorrow. I met someone like you when I was um, about 17 and I uh, was invited to go to a a training session um, by uh, a person who was active in the um, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, actually SCEF, educational, which was related to it. Anyway, and there was a woman there who was uh, trying to find out which of us uh, hated uh, segregation and racial hatred the most. (laughs) And um, we were, Everyone volunteered to be the leader at that gathering on that anyway. So there wasn't any problem with volunteers there. And she says, so here's the deal. Uh, Those of you who have the most commitment, okay, and the most indignation and the strongest sense of injustice, you should fill up your knapsack with as many stones as you think you can carry. And uh, which everybody went about doing. And uh, now, you know, climb that mountain out there, which was near the camp. <laughs> and, you know, so your bravado early was going to be a bit of a burden <laughs> coming up. <laughs> and so coming up and come down. Um, and when you laid that knapsack down, she didn't have to explain the message. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. All right, Take I, care step, I have to step off. <laughs> so sorry. Thank you all very much for, your, all right. for having care. me this morning. I appreciate it. I wish you well. Maybe I'll see you down the road somewhere. I hope so. We can make some magic. All right. Pam. Absolutely. Take care of Thank each you other. So much. It's late, but everything comes next. Recordings.